All right, well, once again, good morning. Morning. I'm excited to have yet another opportunity to preach and really tell you what God's been putting on my heart uh, this past week. If you weren't here last week, uh, Pastor Brooke Taylor from Missio Church over in Ridge was a guest preacher, and his message was all about church. What is the point of church? What is the point for us as church members, and particularly New Village Church? What is our point? And I, I rarely do this, but if you have time this week, I highly encourage you to just go online to our website and just try to make some time and listen to what Pastor Brooks spoke about. Um, so today we're going to be actually going back into the book of Philippians. We started this series a few weeks ago with Paul Nelson. He really gave us an inside the look or in, at the beginning of this Philippian church. And then after that, Mark Harrigan led us through the Apostle Paul's prayer in the beginning of his letter. So today we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 to 20. But before we get started, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. God, we thank you that we have a building that we're able to freely worship you in, sing songs, listen to a sermon, and just praise your name. God, I just thank you for, the, for your spirit that you've given us, that it makes the Bible, it makes your word active. It makes your word alive. God, help us just to set aside distractions, Lord, uh, whether we're thinking about lunch or just the problems or things going on later this day. I pray that we can just draw near to you now. And God, I pray that you always have the spotlight, no matter who's preaching or who's leading worship. In your name we pray, amen. So if you've ever watched a movie or even a TV show series, it's really important to start at the beginning. If you jump halfway in through a movie or you skip a few seasons in a TV show, you really get lost in the context of what's going on, in the plot and character development. It just seems like you're not really super into it. Um, so I think it's important when we read the Bible to handle God's word that way, to understand what's going on, what's going on in the community, what's going on in the city in which is uh, being talked about and things like that. So I think it's important to have this quick little recap even before we start to read these verses. So just a little bit of context. The book of Philippians, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul around 60 to 62 AD. And that's about 30 years after Jesus Christ died, rose again, and ascended up into heaven. He wrote this letter for multiple reasons. Paul Nelson, I think he gave us about five or six reasons. But just as a little bit of a review, two reasons is he's thanking this church in Philippi for a gift that he's received. And he's also updating them about his circumstance, where he's at. And he's also at the same time encouraging this church. If you read the whole book, the theme of it is to be joyful, it's to rejoice. And a lot of times you can read this and it's almost like Paul's giving them like a pat on the, bat, uh, on the back, like, hey church, great job. You're doing awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep following Christ. Um, so Paul gives this letter to someone named Epaphroditus because Paul is currently under house arrest in Rome. So the Philippian church was the first Jesus community that Paul started in Eastern Europe, and you can use the word church. Um, Philippi was known for, to, for being a Roman colony, meaning that it was full of Roman soldiers. It had deep-rooted nationalism and, and Roman pride, and it was considered a little slice of Rome. The Philippian citizens were also considered Roman citizens. If you were born in Philippi, you were automatically a Roman citizen. 
And there were a lot of advantages to being a Roman citizen at that time. They were exempt from property tax, which is tax on things you owned, land, your house, and also poll tax, which is a tax on all non-Roman citizens, regardless of your status. If you were rich or if you were poor, you were taxed. The, just the, the population of uh, Philippi was about 10,000 to 15,000 people. Just to put that into a little bit of, per, of a perspective, uh, Lake Grove, which is the town we're in right now, has a population of about 11,000 people. So Paul starts this letter off with a typical greeting, which he does in, in all his letters, but he also starts with praying, and he, pray, he prays for the church. And then we get to today's text. So immediately after his prayer, this is the first thing that Paul tells the church in Philippi. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12, and we'll read till verse 20. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So as we discuss these few verses this morning, I want to focus on three things that comes to mind when we read this about Paul's circumstances. And if you have your notes, I'll give you the three bullet points right now so you don't have to stress about missing them. Uh, so point number one, Paul had joy despite his circumstances. Joy. Point two, Paul had opportunity for evangelism despite his circumstances. Evangelism. Point number three. Paul honored Christ despite his circumstances. He honored Christ. And as we look how Paul acted despite all these circumstances that he were in, I really hope that we can find encouragement today and really get, get a chance to mirror Paul's actions and ultimately mirror what, what he says. So if you were to ask me how many youth retreats I've been on in my lifetime, I couldn't give you a number. Um, between growing up here at the church and going to youth retreats as a student, to also volunteering when um, we had Tim as the youth pastor as well, and then even going away to college, my classes were to plan retreats and go on retreats, so I couldn't escape re retreats. And, and at any church I volunteered at locally at Messiah College where I went to school, I was also volunteering and leading retreats. I had chances to do that. And if that wasn't enough, as soon as I graduated college, I got a job at Camp Spofford up in New Hampshire where my job was to be a retreat coordinator. So rather than bringing kids on a retreat, I was on the flip side. I was now serving people who were on a retreat. So I just, I just can't escape retreats. Um, but in all my retreats and all the history of, of ones that I've led and been on, there's one that I'll never forget. And if you know me, I have a really bad memory. 
I think I'm convinced I have some sort of short-term and long-term memory disorder. I don't know. I just, I can't remember a lot of things. Um, But this one retreat sticks out because nothing went according to plan. It was like, it was almost like an episode of Seinfeld. It was like, it was just dominoes falling, and I was like, well, yeah, of course that would happen. So we leave for the retreat. We go to Tuscarora, which is in Pennsylvania, and this was a month after Stephanie and I got married. So it's about three years ago. And, um, you know, happy honeymoon. Let's go on a retreat together and, and serve. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great. But um, so we, we left the church, and what should have taken a two-and-a-half-hour trip turned into five hours. So right off the bat, we got nailed. We got crushed with traffic. So we got there, and, and I'm like running like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm just scrambling, try to get, trying to get things unpacked, trying to tell the kids where to go, because dinner is coming up very soon. And I think Emma, Miriam, and Julia, you, you guys might remember this story here, and Josh as well. Um, so as soon as we get to camp, I find out the meeting room that we planned on having, the place where we're going to have our lessons, do our worship time, it wasn't available to us. They, liter- they gave it away to another group that got there before us. And I was like, wait a minute, we, we planned this. I have it in a contract. Like, what's going on? Like, we want this space because it's separate from where people sleep. And back then, we used to lead, I used to uh, just play, like, worship music, and we would sing karaoke style to worship. We didn't really play any instruments or anything like that. So it was really important to have a space set apart from where people are sleeping so that they weren't disturbed by, by the volume. So off the bat... Our circumstance changes. We, we don't have this meeting space. And then not only that, but I go to get the portable sound system that they also promised to us, um, which is simply you plug your phone into it, and their speaker is probably about the size of these on the wall, and you can crank the volume, and it's loud. And they said, sorry, we gave that away to a group that's bigger than yours because they needed it. And I was like, all right, that's, you don't tell that to my face. Like, you don't tell me that. Uh, so at this point, I'm just I'm furious. And then they say, wait, we got something. I'm like, all right, hallelujah, thank you, God is good. And they, no joke, they, they give me, they look in the bottom of the closet and they find this little CD player and it's like this big and it's full of dust. And I'm like, when was the last time that was used? And they're like, no, it works, it works. And I, I looked at him and I said, I'm, I don't mean to be a diva. I don't mean to, to, to be, you know, this, this type of person, but that's not going to work for us. So they said, okay, okay, we got something else. They brought out an iHome, which is a stereo docking system, and it was kind of cheapo, and I know that because I had the same exact one growing up. Um, and I said, listen, that's not going to work either. We need to blast this music. I want the kids, you know, that's what we're used to. We, we're used to blasting it so we can sing as loud as we want and just go crazy for God in that sense. Not, not talking Pentecostal crazy, just, you know, a little, a little crazy. Um, and then finally, they found a subwoofer speaker. It was like this big, a subwoofer. If you don't know much about speakers, a subwoofer is used mainly for the bass. You hear like the vibration, you feel it, it goes like, it's like the vibration, the bass of, of, of the music. Um, somehow we got that to work and that's what we ended up using. We never got that portable uh, speaker. So despite all this, we finally go to dinner, right? We got there late, we don't have our meeting room, we didn't have the sound system. We go to dinner and I'm told, hey, we don't have you signed up for dinner. Uh, there's, there's no food for you. And I'm like, I'm like oh my God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, you know, one of those times where I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom and scream real quick. So we end up going back in the car, going to some Taco Bell slash Pizza Hut, truck stop, gas station type thing. Um, and at one point, 
You know, I, I was just furious. I was angry. My circumstances, the things that I planned did not go at all remotely close to what I thought. And I said out loud in front of Stephanie and in front of some of the leaders there, and some of the students might have heard it because I don't think I was really filtering my volume too much, but I basically just said, this weekend is going to be a disaster. What a mess. Why don't we just go back home, pack up, and leave? And my newlywed wife, Stephanie, thankfully she said to me, no, 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 David. She, she brought me back down to earth, and she told me, ultimately, don't let these things affect you. This retreat is not about the music. It's not about the meeting space. It's about God. So not only was she right, but looking back, it was one of the most powerful retreats that I've been on. And one of the students at the end even gave their life to Christ, despite all our imperfect circumstances. And I wonder how many of us are so easily affected emotionally or spiritually by different circumstances, when things don't go according to our plan. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And as we look back to what Paul says in Philippians, we see that point number one, he has joy despite his circumstances. So look back at verse 12. He says this, the very first thing he tells the church, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served in advancing the gospel. And the logical question is, well, what's happened to Paul? See, he was put in prison or under house arrest. He's literally in chains for being a follower of Christ. He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't start the letter off saying, you know, woe is me, my life is so tough. Please, church, pray for me. Maybe send some people to try to break me out. He doesn't say that. He says, he, he sees it as a good thing. He says the gospel is being advanced. And in verse 13, he tells us how he knows the gospel is being advanced. In 13, verse 13, he says this, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest. Now, I don't know what that means when he says the rest, but there's another group of people there. The imperial guard and to the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul is the, their captive. He's captive of the Roman Empire, but at the same time, the imperial guard is also Paul's captive. In Rome, when you were under house arrest, it meant that you were literally shackled to a guard 24-7. You had no freedom to yourself. The guards would come in different shifts throughout the day, and you were always forced to be next to the guard. Different guards, again, they would take different shifts, and they were all forced to listen and to see Paul's joy despite his circumstances. And Paul, in this situation, in house, being under house arrest, he had the opportunity to talk to others about Jesus who he normally wouldn't have had that opportunity. He was talking to Roman guards, to judges, to prisoners, and even higher governing officials. Paul shows the people that, uh, quite literally the people around him, that Jesus is worth dying for. And this may have caused the others to see and, and see Paul and ask, Paul, who exactly this Jesus guy is? Or maybe they said, Paul, tell us your story. How do you have joy while you're being locked up? Maybe they questioned why Paul valued Jesus so highly. So for Paul, it was important that the world knows and the world sees that Christ is worth dying for. And it's a joy to serve Christ regardless of his own freedom. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which is another letter that Paul wrote to another church, he says this, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say give thanks sometimes. 
or give thanks when it's convenient. But he says, in all circumstances, whether in evil or in good, give thanks to God. And if you have your notes, letter A, the first point under point number one, the Bible's clear that evil circumstances do not deter God's plan. Evil circumstances do not deter God's plan. And how do I know that? And I, I just want us to think about the cross for a second. We have a cross right here. A preacher once said, and I love this quote, he said, the cross was the worst that man could do to accomplish the best that God could do. Today when we see the cross, when we look at that, we, it, it reminds me, I don't know about you, but it reminds me of Jesus. It reminds me of love, of salvation, that I have freedom, that I have eternal life. Nowadays we, we get it tattooed on us to remind us. We, we wear it as jewelry, as, as a good thing, as a reminder. But back in Jesus' day, being crucified was a capital punishment. It was an extremely painful, but also a shameful and humiliating way to die. It was a public execution, and you wouldn't brag to people that your loved one is being crucified. You wouldn't be like, hey, that guy up there, that's my dad. Whoa, <laughs> good for me, right? No, that, you wouldn't do that. It was a humiliating thing to see and to take place. Again, crucifixion was the worst thing that could happen to someone in Jesus' day, but God used it for his glory. That quote again, the cross was the worst that man could do to accomplish the best that God could do. So despite our circumstances, you know, whether we're in the valley of the shadow of death, as we read in Psalm 23, or maybe we're walking on clouds, life is good, life is easy right now. Regardless of our circumstance, we should have joy in Christ and what he's done for us. And I think if we're being honest, too many of us, we allow our circumstances, we allow our situations to be bigger than God. And thinking back to that retreat story, God used that mess, and it was a mess, and he used me, a mess, for his glory. Point number one, joy despite circumstances. Point number two, Paul is seen evangelizing or, or doing evangelism despite his circumstances. Remember, Paul's not at some worship rally. He's not at some prayer meeting. He's not at a pastor's conference or a missions dinner. He's literally in chains. He's awaiting a trial where he'll find out whether or not he'll be executed for following Christ. And it's clear from this letter from Philippians that Paul knows that God has him right where he needs him to be. He doesn't let the chains that bind him physically bind the gospel, bind him spiritually. Look at what he says in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having confidence in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's imprisonment is now fueling other Christians. It's fueling the church with confidence, with boldness to share the gospel. And Paul's finding joy in that. He's finding his joy that Christ is using his suffering to empower others and empower the church to proclaim and to preach and to evangelize. I feel like that nowadays, you know, we as Christians or even we as, as a church, we tend to wait for the perfect time to share the gospel. I know I fall victim to this thinking. No, we, we let circumstances dictate whether or not it's the right time to, to, to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about Christ. You know, maybe we say things like this. Ah, I'm just not in the mood today. I'm a little tired. I didn't get a good night's sleep. I just, I don't feel like it. Or maybe you say, and, and I've used this, you know, our church doesn't have a pastor. 
what am I going to do? I'm going to tell someone about Jesus, and then how do I get them to church? We don't have a pastor. I've, I've used that before. Or maybe we say, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. What if they ask me a question I don't know? What if, they, what if I'm embarrassed by that? Or what if, you know, what if they try to trick me or trap me? And some of us, maybe we don't want to shove Jesus down people's throats. We want them to come to the truth on their own. I think when we speak or, or we think like that, what we're really saying is, God, I have a low view of you. I have a low view of God. We feel that God can only work in people's hearts and in their minds and their lives when we foster this right type of environment or maybe we play the right type of music. What we're really saying is, God, you need my help. You can't do this on your own. Looking back at Paul's life, he wasn't the bravest man. It wasn't bravery that fueled his desire to share Christ. It was his view of God. He knew who God is. If you have your Bibles, keep your finger in Philippians, but if you can, turn over to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I think last week I started off the service by, by reading this. And a few weeks ago as I was reading through the Psalms, I came across Psalm 95. And I don't know if you underline or highlight in your Bible, but I started with verse 1 and I just kept underlining. And then I got to verse 2 and I was still underlining. I'm like, man, when can I stop underlining? Like, this is all great stuff. So Psalm 95 says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. And I'd, you could go back to Philippians. And I just, I love to think that when Paul is in prison, that during this time, he's reciting Old Testament. He's reciting scripture to himself because before Paul turned into a missionary, he was Saul the Pharisee. And back then, Pharisees knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. So again, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm sure that while Paul is in prison, He's reciting these promises of God. He's, he's remembering things that God said about himself, that he knows who God is. He knows that God is bigger than his circumstances. That's the God that he serves. This quote I, I, I saw says this, that the more you know God, the deeper you will worship him. But I want to change it to this. The more you know God, the deeper your faith in him will be. The more firm your foundation will be that when the storms come in life, and, and we are going to face storms, being a Christian does not mean that you're going to be nice and cozy and comfortable and, and live happily. If anything, Jesus says it's the opposite. The world's going to hate us because we follow him. There's going to be trials. There's going to be things that happen. But the more that we know God, the more we look up to him, the less we're distracted by looking at our problems down here. In Romans 8.38, Paul says this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. That's a long list of things. And if he forgets anything, he says this. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. 
See, for Paul, he knew that nothing could separate him from God's love. He knew that the guards couldn't do anything to him because his God is bigger. Look what he says in verse 19 of of Philippians chapter 1. This is where he gets his hope from. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know, I know, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul's not only evangelizing despite his imperfect circumstances, being in prison, but also he's, he's going up against people with improper motives. So if you have your notes, that's the, that's the next point under point two here. The gospel advances despite proper circumstances and proper motives. If you look at verses 15, 16, and 17, Paul starts to name some people. He, he kind of he, he compares two separate people. There are these people in verse 15 who preach Christ, proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry. So you have them over here. Then you have others who preach from goodwill. And then he says, the, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I put here for the defense of the gospel. And then he says, but the former proclaim out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. See, there were some Christians in Philippi, in the Philippian church, who were preaching the gospel simply because they hated Paul. In spite of Paul, they said, all right, I hate him so much, he's in prison, you know. I'm going to preach and and do it myself. I'm going to get all the glory that way. These Christians were preaching so that Paul could be beaten more harshly. They thought that if they spread Christianity, if their church just exploded, then somehow Paul would get more of a punishment. He'd be getting beat more. And what is Paul's response to this? Verse 18, and I love this. He says, what then? What, what do I do? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul did not let fear, he did not let imprisonment, chains, or even other Christians who hated him stop him from evangelizing. evangelizing. He did not give up, he did not surrender. He was focusing on the promises of God. He knew that the God he serves is bigger than his enemies. Paul knew that, that, Christ, loved, that, that Christ loved him so much and, and, and Paul loved Christ so much that he would not stop evangelizing. He knew that if, if Jesus could save a sinner like himself, then no one could be undeserving of that same love that Paul received from Christ. Again, our our circumstances shouldn't dictate whether or not we tell others about Jesus. God can use any situation, no matter how bad, for his glory and his praise. He is God, as Psalm 95 says. He is our Lord. We are here to make much of God and to spread his name to everyone. That is our mission. That's the great commission. The last words Jesus said to his disciples, He, he, he gave us a task, go out and make disciples. That means that as we go, as we live our life, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go grocery shopping, as we drive, we are to make disciples, and I pray that we never forget that. That is our mission. So point one, there's joy despite circumstances. Point two, we should be evangelizing despite our circumstances. And lastly, point number three, Paul is honoring Christ despite his circumstances. Just look back at verse 18 again. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
See, Paul is rejoicing in the simple fact that Christ is being proclaimed, that Christ is being magnified. He understands that the gospel, that Christ is bigger than his circumstances, is bigger than, than just the, the chains that he's in. It doesn't even matter who's preaching as long as Christ is getting the honor. And if we're not careful, I think we, we have the chance to turn into these Christians that we read about in verse 17. These Christians who, who preach the gospel from selfish ambition. That phrase, selfish ambition, Paul also uses it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. So just either turn the page or look to the next chapter. Chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And when I read that, it seems that Paul is empowering, or Paul is speaking to this church to be kingdom-minded, to not be a selfish group of people, to not be a country club church, but to be kingdom-minded. And that's the, that's the last blank that you should have on under, verse, under point number three, kingdom-minded. Now this term, being kingdom-minded, it, it's simply being able to put aside your own preferences, your own opinion, and putting Jesus first, putting him before you. What are some ways that we can be kingdom-minded? Well, Paul gives us one. We're to care about making disciples. And I would say we're, we're to care about making disciples despite our reputation. Instead of focusing on ourselves and our own reputation, go out and make disciples. We care more about worshiping God than the style of music that's being played. We don't invite, maybe being a kingdom-minded person, you don't look to invite people to church to grow our church into having more members and get more money and to make sure that we, we stay open. But the whole point of inviting people to church is that you care about their eternal soul. You care about their eternity. And that should be the focus. If you're kingdom-minded, the people who don't know Jesus are important. Being a kingdom-minded church is just saying that we're willing to let go. We're willing to change things in order to put Jesus first. Not change for the sake of change, but change to advance the gospel, change to advance the kingdom, to reach the people outside these doors, to make disciples, to put Jesus first. And I, I, I love our youth group. And maybe you're hoping that I would love our youth group since that's my job. Uh, <laughs> but, but I love meeting. We meet every Friday night, and I just love to see the students grow in their faith, grow in their love for Jesus, grow in their relationship for Jesus, but also their love and their relationships with each other. But I also love combined youth group events. There's something special that happens when, when our students put aside their own identity. They put aside the identity of, of New Village Church, Ignite Youth Group. They put that to the side, and they come together and they worship as one body with other churches and other students. And last year, there were over 250 people sitting in the sanctuary listening to the gospel for this movement called How to Life. And this was a movement that students led. If you were over 21, you were not allowed to be on stage or be involved. It was all students reaching students. Students who love Christ proclaiming Christ to their friends, to their neighbors. Many churches came together here at New Village and worshiped God despite theological differences, worship preferences, and ages. I saw 17, 18-year-old students worshiping next to 12-year-old students. I saw 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old youth leaders, pastors, adults 
worshiping with 20-year-old student leaders and things like that. It was, a, it was this perfect glimpse of what heaven will look like, worshiping God, making much of God. It was this great moment to set aside our church differences and preferences all to honor Christ and put him first. My question is, are you kingdom-minded? Are your eyes on Christ? Are your eyes on his kingdom? Are you more concerned about others rather than yourself? Paul tells us a little bit later in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to shine as lights to the world. That requires us to go into the world and to represent Christ. Sometimes we get too focused on these little things. Sometimes we get too focused in the things in here, in our church, in this building, or maybe at your house, that we never go outside these walls. We never go out and proclaim Christ to everyone we meet. Just a reminder that the church is the bride of Christ. Do we treat her that way? I'm reminded of what John the Baptist says, and this is a paraphrase. He says that for Christ to increase, we must decrease. And Paul rejoiced that in all his decrease, he, he had a decrease in freedom, in safety, in security, in his circumstances. In all that decrease, Christ was increasing. The gospel was advancing, and that was enough for him. Look at the way he, he just starts the letter to the Philippian church. In verse number one, he knows exactly who he is. He calls himself a servant, or you could substitute and use the word slave. He says, Paul, I'm a slave, I'm a servant of Christ. Whether he's in jail with no freedoms, or he's out of jail with all the freedoms in the world, that's his identity. It's that he is a servant of Christ. And even in verse 4, after his typical greeting, he begins with praying for the church. He's not praying for himself. He's not looking at himself, not his circumstances, but he's looking at the Philippian church. He, like he says in chapter 2, he's putting them first. His love for others and the love of Christ is clearly evident in just the beginning of this letter to the Philippian people. He doesn't question God, but rather he gives thanks to God. And as I've just been meditating on these verses and memorizing them and just kind of wrestling them with a sense this past week, I've come to the conclusion that the book of Philippians, it's a book of the Bible that when you're reading it, it's really hard to complain. It's really hard to complain. No matter how tough my life gets, it'll never be as tough as Paul's circumstances. I'm not in any danger of facing the death penalty because of my faith in Christ. My enemies don't hate me enough to physically want to hurt me. I'm not chained to someone 24-7 with no freedom. Throughout these verses, Paul reminds us that despite his circumstances, we should have joy, we should be evangelizing, and we should be honoring Christ in all that we say and all that we do. Now maybe some of you here don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe you're just longing for this peace for this eternal satisfaction, and you just can't be fulfilled. That desire in your heart, there's just this void that, that nothing can fill. Maybe your world is slowly collapsing around you, and you can barely stand. Jesus tells us to come to me. Come to me. That's what Jesus says. The Bible's clear that God loved you. He loved me. He loved all of us so much that he gave us his son, his only son, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. John 3.16 like Paul, when we face extreme situ uh, situations or circumstances, as Christians, we know 
that God will never leave us. We know that God will never abandon us. He'll never love us any less. We have that confidence in our God. And if you want that confidence, I urge you, don't wait. Today, put your hope, put your trust, put your faith in Jesus. Repent from your sins and realize that you are not good enough for God. And on the good news of that is we don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good on our behalf and he paid it all for us. The Bible says that we're covered by his blood alone, his righteousness, not anything that we've done. Even at our best, we're not good enough for God. Jesus was. Paul says that salvation is it's a free gift. So I just urge you, come, surrender, give your life to Jesus. When our circumstances in our, in our life changes, our faith in Christ never has to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. God, we thank you just for this opportunity that we can get an inside look at, at Paul's situation and Paul's circumstances and see how he reacts. And I pray, Lord, that we can find encouragement in that. God, I pray that despite our circumstances, whether our life is terrible right now or whether our life is amazing right now, I pray that our joy is found in you. God, I pray that we never lose sight of our mission. Our mission is to go out and to make disciples, make much of your name, not our name. And God, I pray that we always honor you and put you first. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.